Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. It's good to be with you, and it's so, it's so good. I want to, before we get into the sermon today, I just want to remind us all how good it is to have each other. Um, this, this is such a wonderful ministry. In the, in the summer, there's a lot of transition going on. People are in and out of town. There's holidays. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff. People are away uh, doing, you know, visiting their family and being with their family for the summer. They'll come back for the fall semester. And in the midst of all the transition and the things that are going on, um, sometimes we can get so busy that we forget the value of, of being with each other. And it is good. It, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God's given us in fellowship. And there's a lot of people. We've had a lot of visitors over the last few weeks. And I just want to point out that um, you belong here. I just, I just want to let you know. You belong here. We, we want you here. Uh, if you have questions about what it means to be a part of this ministry or what it means to, to follow Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you to investigate uh, what the Word of God has to say. And, and, uh, and so, you know, we have Bible studies that take place throughout the week uh, all over uh, our city. Uh, I think there's 43 Bible studies, in fact, which is, is quite a few Bible studies. Uh, and so if, if someone says, well, I don't know um, if I can make it at that time, um, well, guess what? The good news is there's another time that's available to you, certainly out of that many Bible studies, you're going to be able to find a, a place where you can plug in. And, and that is where you're going to find fellowship here. You know, it's really easy to come in here on a Sunday and to sit down and then to slip out the door and, and say, hey, uh, sermon was all right, uh, it was good, I guess I'll come back next week. But, but the point is, we want you uh, in fellowship with us. We, we want your friendship and we desire for you to grow in your knowledge of God's word. And so we invite you to be a part of Bible study, Okay. We invite you to be a part, and, and not only that, we want you to grow. We want you to grow in the Lord and your knowledge of the Lord and, and your ability to follow him, your capacity to follow him, your faith to follow him, and so just wanted to, I think it's from time to time, I think I should get up here and just remind you of something, and I think that's something that need, we need to be reminded of today. Now, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so go ahead and, and, and turn there and be there in your Bibles Last week, we discussed more in depth, we've been talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and and what that means for us and the hope that we gain from the knowledge of the resurrection of our bodies uh, when Christ returns. There's going to be a point in time where Christ redeems our bodies and makes us whole. And what does that mean? What are the implications of that? And last week, we discussed more in depth how the resurrection for believers looks. What does it look like? What does it look like to have a glorified body for God to make your body new? We're going to continue to ask this question. The question should be up on the screen. Uh, what will happen to me when I die? Which, you know, is the biggest question uh, probably that a person can ask themselves, right? What happens to me when I die? We've all asked ourselves that questions, uh, question at various times in our lives. And Last week's sermon was called When We Die. It was a very uplifting title. Uh, all of us felt edified when we saw that it was, the, the sermon was titled that. Uh, today's sermon is called We Will Change. All right, so um, we're going to continue kind of developing a sentence in, in, in fractured moments here. So 
when we die, and, and then this week we're going to be talking about we will change, we will change. Let's pray and get into it. Yeah? Look alive, folks. Look alive. Be ready. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we are thankful for your grace. We are, we are thankful for your mercy towards us. Um, life is difficult, and there seems to be a new hardship every single day. Now, granted, Lord, uh, I think the things that bring us anxiety and fear are, are unwarranted, uh, and we get worried and concerned about such small things in a world where all of our needs are gen- generally provided by the, the social constructs that we live in. We've got so much afforded to us just by being Americans. Um, and so, you know, oftentimes we don't have anything better to do than just to sit around and worry about really stupid stuff. And yet your grace is sufficient for even that. And you love us. And you are uh, concerned for us. And you are there for us. And so, Lord, today I, I pray that we would know um, that your plan is perfect and that you are here for us, that your grace is available. And we pray for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading in verse 39 is where we left off. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, For one star differeth from another uh, star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that uh, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, which is Nick Hatton's rap name, earth earthy, if you didn't know that. (laughs) The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And is the heavenly, such are, are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We've got a lot to cover today. We're going to start by looking here at verse 39 and talk about God's design, the differences in God's design. Verse 39 says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another, uh, another of fishes, and another of birds. And so, What it's telling here is that there is variety within creation. There's variety within creation. We know from observation, all we have to do is look around and know that human beings are different than dogs and cows and fish and flying birds. We we just look around and we know, right? Should be fairly obvious. But we live in a society that I'd like to note that's closing the gap between the animal kingdom and and the human beings of the world. It's closing the gap. So, 
I'm glad that I got out of teaching when I did. All right? Been out of, I've been out of the classroom for four years. Now, there's things about it that I miss. The thing that I, I, I probably wouldn't miss is the fact that in the school district where I taught, there are children pretending to be cats on a daily basis. And that's being indulged. They call this furries, if you didn't know. Furries. Does this make you uncomfortable? There's people, there's people that are pretending that are pretending to be animals. Now, this is, this is socially acceptable. Now, this has never been socially acceptable throughout all of human history, but suddenly it is. Now, so we have, live in a world that's trying to confuse the differences between human beings and animals. And, and now we also acknowledge that secular humanism and contemporary science is trying to do the same thing. Close the gap between the animal race and human race, suggesting that we all come from amoebas, amphibians, and monkeys. Now, now we know that true science is no enemy of the Bible. Right? True science. Because true science is simply observations that lead us to draw conclusions. And hopefully, uh, if you use the right observation, uh, science is very neutral, right? Science should be neutral. Psychology should be neutral. There's things in our world that are, are, are philosophies that should be neutral, but yet, when a corrupting force gets behind it or an ideology gets behind it, it's bent towards the whims of people. And that's what we face with science today. So we should have no problem conceding as Christians that adaptation uh, takes place within species, right? For example, um, over the last hundred years, human beings have changed quite a bit. The height of the average human being has, has changed quite drastically. And so we know within species, science proves that there are adaptations, adaptations in our skin pigmentation, for instance. Uh, these things can change over time. But what we do know for sure as believers is that God created all things and that God designed the species, all right, and that we did not come uh, uh, through an evolutionary process that starts with small single-cell structures climbing out of ooze puddles. Okay, we, we know that. Darwinian evolution is unbiblical. And, it, and, 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 and that way of thinking, it was a creative byproduct of scientists who had a secular bias against the Genesis account. All right, people have been working real hard at trying to erase the creation story for a really long time, and, and they've been fairly effective. This is what the Bible has to say about it. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. We know that to be true. God made us, and he, and he made us with a very special design in mind. So what we've gained from the, the passage so far is that God has made bodies to be distinct. There's distinction among uh, different kinds of creatures. Now verse 40 goes on and it says there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now if you're not familiar with these words, terrestrial means of the earthly realm. Things of the earthly realm. Things that, that consist of, 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 of our earth, okay, human beings and, 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 and you know, 
earth earthy and uh, you know all of the, all of us that walk around we consist of this is our realm in which we dwell now there are also heavenly beings of the heavenly realm and they are celestial now this is not a reference to planetary bodies as the mormons would would want us to believe okay they misinterpret the mormons love 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and there's lots not only is it the baptism issue that they like to abuse but they also like to abuse this concept uh, and they want to use it as a way of, of propping up their tears of heaven uh, theory where they believe there are different planets for different levels of good people. And when you die, based on how you lived, uh, uh, you know, in accordance to, to their beliefs, you get a different planet is what they believe. That's not what this is saying at all. I mean, all you have to do is read it. And you discover that, that what it's saying is there are both human bodies and there are angelic, uh, angelic bodies. There are, there are angels that exist made to coexist between the heavenly realms and the earthly realm. We know that the terrestrial body has unique thresholds, don't we? We know that our bodies are limited. Okay, let's imagine for a moment that you could fly. Let's just, let's just concede that for a moment. You, you can fly. Now, how, how far would you fly before you could no longer breathe? Right? Once we get outside of our atmosphere... And, and, and where there's a rich oxygen content, we would begin to suffocate, would we not? So we couldn't exist outside of our atmosphere into the, into the heavenly realm without dying. And, and similarly, uh, if you go down into the, the ocean, okay, you can only hold your breath for so long. In fact, it, it only takes about 30 feet of swimming down, just 30 feet. What is this in here, 20 feet maybe, 15 30 feet down, and you start to get the bends, right? You start hallucinating, and you, our bodies are limited, right? Our bodies are limited. And so we, we, need, we need to be aware of the fact that God has made us a very special way, a unique way, and he's made angels a different way. He's made angels a different way. So it's clear that angels can do things that, that human beings can't. Now, there's distinction. That's what we're pointing out. There's distinction. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So what Paul is saying is that just like there are differences between species and differences between earthly and heavenly creatures, he's also saying that there are differences between the, uh, the planetary creations. God made the sun to provide a source of immediate light for us, Right? The sun, I mean, this time of year, we, we are very aware of the sun, aren't we? Uh, it's already getting hot today, yeah? Who's going to spend the afternoon outside? Some of you, it was so beautiful outside yesterday, and no one was outside. Just because the calendar says July, I think people just are hiding. We're outside walking around, and there's like no one outside. It's beautiful. But the sun, it provides us with nutrients, Right? It helps plants to grow. We, we, we require the sun, and the sun is very special. It's unique in the way that God constructed it, its placement in accordance to our solar system and its proximity to the earth. If it's too close, the earth burns up. It's too far away. We, we freeze to death. We don't survive. So God it was very intentional in, in the way that he created the sun. The same is true with the moon. The moon was re, uh, made to reflect the sun. There's a biblical picture in that, right? We, we, we can see the biblical picture that Jesus Christ is like the Son, the Son of God, is like the Son, and, and he illuminates all things. He brings tr truth into reality 
And the, and the moon is simply a reflection of the goodness of the sun. And so we as believers are like the moon. And in our best of days, we, we are a full moon. And we are illuminating the night sky. In a dark world, we're illuminating the night sky. In our worst of days, uh, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a solar eclipse. And we, you know, we can't see anything. And the, and the sky goes dark. And the moon is, you know, so... We recognize that God's created things in a very distinct way. There are, there are so many different kinds of stars in our universe of differing colors, sizes, and intensities. And he's made them that way. He's made distinction in his creation. Look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So also is the resurrection of the dead. And so here's the key point that we need to get here. There is a difference between your earthly body and your future heavenly body. We talked about that at length last week. There's There's a difference between your earthly body and its weaknesses and your future body. Okay, I revealed this morning to uh, to Noah and um, oh, who else was back there with me? Ashton was back there. That um, you don't you don't know this, but for for nine months I've been wearing Invisalign. Did you know that about me? Yeah, I've been wearing Invisalign. I've been keeping it a secret because it's weird. Because I'm old. But I had braces when I was young, and I didn't wear my retainer. So this is a warning. It's a warning to you. So my teeth, over time, they got jacked. They got jacked up. And the dentist was like, this one tooth right here, this one, you're going to lose that tooth unless you do something. And so I was like, okay, give me the Invisalign. So and they've, they've set to work correcting my corrupt body, my earthly body. Since COVID, since COVID, my first, I probably had COVID, I think, five times now. Uh, you think I'm joking? I'm not joking. This is what happens when you work with people, okay? Um, after my first time getting COVID, I, I lost almost all sense of smell. So for two and a half years now, I've had about 20, 25% of my smell, okay? At one point, I thought I was getting it back. I was doing these essential oils thing. I was looking at all the weird dudes on YouTube, what you should do, and I was smelling different essential oils, and I was trying to, the truth is you can't just, you can't, essential oils, it's, you're not going to just correct this. I think I'm jacked up. I think I'm messed up forever. I thought I was getting my smell back, and um, I was really excited, and then, and then the next day, I couldn't smell things again, and I actually, I cried. You know, you don't have to do that. It's actually, it's kind of humorous. You probably should have laughed at that. I wept a little bit. I didn't want Eva to see. I went into the other room, and I just kind of didn't want to. Um, Shayna, this morning, invited me to play basketball, which she does every single week. Shayna asks if I'm going to go play basketball anytime soon, and the answer is always no. And she's like, why? You could still do it. I'm like, sure, I could. For at least two games, I I still have it for at least two games. But by the third game, I have, to, I have to gear down. Like my legs are so sore, and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be sore for a week, minimum. Because my body is corrupt. My body is corrupt. I'm made of earthly stuff. I am, I am every bit earth-earthy. And, 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 and I am looking forward to a day 
where my body will be redeemed. I'll have a glorified body. So the new, the new body uh, is remarkably different than the body you have now. And just as different as the sun and the moon and the stars are from one another, and, and just as different as human beings are from angelic beings, and just as different are, as, as dogs are from birds and fish, so is, so is your body now from your future body. It's just as different as a seed is from the flower that it produces. And so we will be distinctly different in our glorified bodies than we are right now. Now, the body is an interesting thing. The body is an interesting thing. We love our bodies. We love them. We love them and we hate them. We hate them and we love them. Okay? And every day we, we tend to our bodies. We, we want to look good and we spend time in the mirror fixing our hair. And I mean, some of you need to do that more. Care for, for like you care about your hygiene. You, some of us wear deodorant regularly. Some of us don't. Okay. We take care of our bodies. We 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 want to present ourselves well. We love to feed ourselves. Okay. We love to, we love to, we love good meals. We love to feed ourselves. Multiple times a day, we sneak into the kitchen and we get one more snack, okay? Uh, we love to sleep. Some of you will take a nap this afternoon, okay? You could be productive, but you're going to choose to take a nap instead, <laughs> right? All right? You're going you're gonna to sit around and do nothing because you've, you're patting yourself on the back for a hard day's work of coming and sitting <laughs> at church. Sitting, and, and so you deserve a nap, of course, now, our, our bodies, also, that's, they're also how we engage with people. The first thing we know about a person is how they look, how they appear to us. We shake hands, we hug, we talk, and we look at each other in the eyes. Okay? And so, it's sometimes, because of all of these things, it's sometimes hard for us to imagine ourselves as anything more than our fleshly forms. Because we live so much of our life thinking about and engaging with our flesh. It's hard to believe that there's something beyond our bodies, but there is. And so real quick, I want to overview uh, the biblical view of human consciousness. And so if you've, this is going to look familiar for those of you who've read the, the book that, that, that John and I wrote. This is a portion, this is some of the, 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 what's in there. But I think this is important for us to note. Okay, now let's see what the Bible says real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, and, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God... Your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Now this, this passage points out that there are three parts to us. Spirit and soul and body. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the, the dividing asunder of what? Soul? And spirit, and the joints and marrow, which is your body, that's your physical body, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so what we learn here is that the word of God is so powerful and so sharp that it can distinguish between the different parts of you and reveal to you if there's something corrupt in your soul or something corrupt in your flesh or, or even at the spirit level, right? And so it reveals to us as the discerner of those things. Now, now here in the slides are my, my illustrations, Okay. So here's the first thing we want to learn about. How's the human body? 
the human body does a few things, okay? It's physical, right? It, there's a human physiology. There's three parts to it. There's a human physiology that the, the Bible talks about. There's also human behavior, okay? How we behave and how we act comes really uh, is manifest through our body itself, right? The actions that we do. And then there's human com- uh, the human state, right? Which is this, this, this um, uh, the, the placement that we have uh, in God or outside of God. Whether or not we are of the Lord or not of the Lord. Whether or not our flesh has been redeemed or not. And we're going to talk about that more here in a minute. There's also this next part, the human soul. Okay? And this contains the human will and human reason and human emotion. That's our soul. All right? And then there's also the human spirit. Okay? Which contains human conscience, human intuition, and human communion. Uh, And you can look up those verses later and and, and discover more about those things. But we're made up of of three parts. And this is the the thing that I need you to understand. Is Is that as you live, your body is the visible you. That's the visible you. But your personality and your passions and your ability to reason and live morally are all functions of the invisible you. The invisible you. The soul and the spirit. At the moment someone receives Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior, as their Lord, he redeems you at every level, okay? Now, now, hear me out on this. He redeems you at the soul and spirit level. He quickens you in your inner man, and he makes those things alive. But the Bible is clear. The Bible is very clear on this. While your soul and spirit are quickened, our body, while it's redeemed, while it's been set aside, while it's been sealed by God, that belongs to him, we still have to live in a corrupt and sinful state. Our flesh is ever working against us. Our flesh always wants to do what's wrong. You know this, don't you? You know it. You, you were wanting to do what's wrong this morning, right? Our body is always beckoning to us to do something sinful, to seek after pleasure. So what does this this mean for us? Okay, Well, it means that as Christians, we face two realities. The first one is this, that the the invisible or inward us desires to follow God and seek after him. The, The inner version of us, the redeemed soul and spirit, has this constant burden and desire to follow after God. Right? If you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's something inside of you that's, all, that's always tending that direction. Except for the fact that the, the visible or outward us tends toward obeying the whims of the flesh. And the flesh seeks to corrupt the mind and the heart. And so when we start obeying our flesh... It actually works backwards and begins to corrupt the invisible us, right? If if you indulge your sin long enough, Romans chapter 1 teaches us that we can actually make our mind reprobate so that our soul and spirit no longer tend towards following after God. If we choose to live after our flesh and follow after the outward man, it will result in a corruption of the whole man. While you might even be saved, you can, you can train your mind to follow after the flesh. Now Paul describes this dilemma this way. Romans chapter 7 verse 21 says, 
I find then a law. He refers to it as a law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. So my, my behavior is torn between two realities, is what he says. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Meaning that with his, with his mind, with his soul and spirit, he desires to follow after God. But I see another law in my members. And we know that members are the biblical word for the parts of your body. Members would be the parts of your body. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Which is in my members or in my flesh. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so here's the bad news. Bad news. Bad news, y'all. Key point. The will of the flesh is strong and it's impossible to fully tame. If you think that habits and disciplines and a desire to do what's right is sufficient for taming your flesh, I want to tell you right now that it's not possible. There's a lot of you in the room right now that are in discipleship. You're being trained in God's word and you're learning new things about the word of God and you're establishing a foundation for your life and that's really good. That's really important and we'll get to that. But here's the deal. I, I want to break it to you. When you come through discipleship, you won't be sinless. You're going to mess up and you're going to mess up probably every day. You're going to speak wrong to someone. You're going to have a wicked thought. Now, I pray that you would train yourself at the level, you teach yourself at the level, you would yield yourself at the level that you don't indulge those sins, but at a bare minimum, you're going to think dirty because you're dirty, right? Because your flesh has not yet been redeemed. It has not yet been glorified. So Paul is saying here that there's a war between the invisible self and the visible self, and it's left him exhausted, has anybody ever felt worn out by the war between your flesh and your, your soul? It makes you tired. There doesn't, see, there doesn't seem to be a final solution to the problem. What do I do? You ask yourself, what do I do? What do I do to fix this? This is what Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So he describes his body in terms of death. It's prone to death. He's got bad knees and he's, he's getting bad at basketball too. Okay? He wants deliverance from his body which drives him towards contradictory behavior which all of us, all of us struggle with being and living as hypocrites. There's no way around it. You're a hypocrite. It's the, it's the reason that you're here this morning. If when you got saved, you were perfect, it's a funny thing. We probably wouldn't need the body of Christ. We would just be out doing good all around the world. People would want to be just like us all the time. And they would, people would just be coming to Christ like in droves because they see sinlessness in you and you look like Jesus. But the problem is you're a filthy, stinking hypocrite just like me. And we need each other. We need the body of Christ because it promotes righteous behavior. And it helps us to not be so contradictory. But we are. We are. So let's talk for a second about overcoming the flesh. Because I want, I want to take a moment to, to address this. Because as Christians, we, we are, we're often discouraged by our, our behavior. 
and we're disparaged just like Paul, but the Bible does give us some insights in how to overcome the will of the flesh, and that leads us to the next point, and that's this. The will of the flesh may be strong. The will of the flesh may be strong, but the power of God is stronger. The power of God is stronger. Romans 6, 11 says this, while you write that down. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. God's made you dead to that sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. As your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. So I'm not going to be able to be exhaustive here. But I think it's important that we address what it looks like to have victory on a daily basis. What does it look like to yield ourselves to God as, as a form of Christian living? Okay? So five, five keys to overcoming the flesh in this life. How to, how to yield. How to yield to God. The first thing is this. We need to understand grace. We need to understand grace. Now, grace means unmerited favor and love from God. That's what it means. It means that God has bestowed forgiveness and love upon you who never deserved it. He came and he died for you. You, ne you never deserved it. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn his favor. You've been made a partaker of the grace of God. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. God has extended to, uh, to us grace through Jesus Christ. You could never earn that. You didn't earn it in your salvation, and you don't earn it now. Grace is available to you. Romans 11.6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So, so it's important for us to understand that you can't earn the favor or the love of God. It's unmerited. But we need to understand that, that some of us live under grace through our salvation, but we don't live in grace day by day. So one of the things I always say, you know, when I'm counseling with young people who are shaming themselves and, and beating themselves up for the sin that, that we're all predisposed to commit, one of the counseling points that I, I make a lot is this is that you need to learn to have the grace with yourself that Jesus Christ himself has extended to you. So you, you need to learn to treat yourself with the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has treated you with. You need to learn how to do that because that is your reality. He's forgiven you and he's extended grace to you. So why do you walk around living as though your works have something to do of whether or not you're loved by God? And we beat ourselves up and we treat ourselves terribly and, and it's not right. See, grace, it's, it's available to you. It's available to you all the time. It's a fount of unending resource. It doesn't dry up. You are forgiven. And so you need to learn how to determine that reality in the grace of Jesus Christ, that you are a forgiven and beloved child. God, God loves you and his grace prevents you from being defined by anything other than his love. That's what great, gra this is what grace is intended to do. 
It's intended to cause you to only define yourself by the love of God. Not by your behaviors or your mess-ups or your slip-ups or, or how you look or how you're perceived or, or you know, whether or not people respect you. It has nothing to do with that. You are loved and forgiven of God, and that affects your identity. And that leads us to the next point. You need to know who you are. If you're going to overcome the flesh in this life, you need to know who you really are. You can't possibly expect to live your identity until you know your identity. You understand? I was walking with Clementine. Um, I was walking with Clementine the other day, and I, I, I said to her, you know, you know, Clementine likes to sit inside and uh, read, okay? Which all of us would say, awesome. She's a reader. Okay, but, but here's the deal. She needs to get outside and move around. It's the summertime. When I was a kid, in the summer, my mom would push us out the door, lock the door, and say, fend for yourselves. I'll see you, I'll see you at dinner time. Okay, that was the way that we lived in the 80s and 90s. Like life was worth living is how we lived. Okay, but, but you know, so I'm trying to teach her. I'm like, girl, you need to go outside. You need to run around. If you're going to be an athlete, then you have to spend time training, okay? Which is a point that she was immediately rejected. Like, if you're going to be athletic, like, like if you're going to, if you're going to, like, have a, like, be fit, you need to go outside and actually use your body. You got to do things with your body. Got to move around. And then, you know, this is her response. She goes, she goes, you know, Dad, I'm, but I'm not an athlete, though. And I was like, well, you play two seasons of soccer every year and basketball. And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, literally nine months out of the year, you're playing sports and you're doing athletics. And she's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> See, here's the deal. You can't begin to think and behave the right way until you believe the right things about who you are. Well, then you say to yourself, but who, but who am I? Who am I? Well, the Bible's pretty explicit on this. Galatians 3.26 says this. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Anyone who's put their faith in Christ Jesus is made to be a child of the living God. That's who you are. And all the benefits bestowed upon a child of God belong to you, according to 1 Peter chapter 1. But knowing who you are also helps you understand the obligations of your station. If you're going to carry the name of Christ, then it's important you behave the way a child of God does. You know, sometimes when, when uh, my kids are acting up in public, um, you know, I'll have, I'll have a talk with them. I'll have a talk with them. And so I'll pull, let's use Shepard as an example, okay, since I already used Clementine. I'll pull Shepard aside and I'll say, bro, what is your name? And I'll say, Shepard. No, I'm like, no, nah, what's your name? My name's Shepard Briscoe. And I'll say, you carry my name. 
you carry my name. And when you're out acting a fool, that comes back on me, right? I gave you my name because you're my child. Now behave like my child, as though you want, you want our name to mean something, as though you want it to be honoring. You want it to have a good testimony. And every decision you make, it comes back on your mom and dad. So consider the value of your name. And the same thing is true for you. When you discover who you are, then you begin to realize the value in your name, the value in your station. And suddenly there are obligations that you, you must abide by because, because you don't want to drag God's name through the mud. The third thing is this. You need to learn how to repent. If you're going to overcome if you're going to overcome your flesh, if you're going to yield your life to God, you need to learn how to repent as a behavior in day-to-day life. It's good practice. So when I, you know, when I mess up in my relationship with Eva, she's so wonderful and she's so gracious that if I just ignored, just pretended like it didn't happen, like I was just a jerk, but I'm, if I just back up and go in the other room and I give it a day or two, It'll go away. And she is probably gracious with me to the point where she would actually just forget it, forget it over time. But would that, be, would that be healthy for our relationship? For me to abuse her grace? I mean, the grace is extended. But it would, be, would it be healthy for our relationship if I abused her grace? And the same thing is true for you. The Bible says, God forbid that if you would just sin and, and not deal with it. If you just go around and do whatever you want to do and not deal with it before God in conviction. Healthy relationships look like acknowledging that you've done something wrong. 1 John 1.9 says, if we, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So arrogance and abuse is what leads us to not confess sin. That's our arrogance on display. When we, when we do something wrong and we don't take time to acknowledge it before God and be like, God, man, I know I messed up. I'm sorry. And he's like, I know. It's all good. I love you. It's grace. That's what grace is for. And you're like, cool. Thank you. That's healthy relationship. That's how we ought to behave. And if you don't do that, you do it because you're arrogant and lazy and abusive of the grace of God. A believer who wants to prosper in their faith and live a life without rebuke should be honest and humble enough to say, sorry, I messed up. Proverbs 28, 13 says that he that covereth his sins, means hideth his sins, shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So we need to learn to make a practice of telling God when, we've, when we haven't behaved like we have his name. It's good for your relationship with him. And it's good for you to lay off the things that easily beset you. This is what Hebrews 12.1 is talking about. Lay off the things that beset you, the things that hold you back. Lay them off. Well, how do you lay them off? Well, you put them before the feet of God. Okay? I mean, when you take clothes off at the end of the day, what do you do with them? Well, hopefully you throw them in the hamper. Some of you people who don't use the deodorant also don't put your clothes in the hamper. Okay? So there's a theme here today. Okay? You take your dirty clothes, your filthy clothes, and you put them in the hamper. 
If you're like Shepard, you just, you just put the same clothes on again the next day and then the next day until, yeah, well, that's what boys do. Little boys do that. But no, what we need to do is we need to lay off our clothes, the things that beset us, the sins that beset us, the things that we often put on that are filthy. We need to take them and lay them at the foot of, the, uh, of God because if we put them before his feet, we're less likely to go back there. We're, we're le- if, if it's at the feet of God, well, then guess what? To go back to that sin is to be accountable to him. You've got to go back and be like, By the way, I just got these pants at the thrift store. Yeah, they were $6. Dickies. This is how I used to wear my pants in, uh, in the early 2000s. This is how I wore my pants, except for they had a cuff and a crease. I would, I would get a bit, I would, this, see this crease right here? I would starch that sucker. These pants are a little baggy, though. I'm not used to it. I'm still getting used to that. Went running up the steps yesterday after I tried them on, and I fell up the steps <laughs> because I didn't have quite the dexterity that I usually do. But that's what we do. When we take, when we take back those filthy things and we, lay, we put them back on, and we know, well, we're going to fall. We're going to fall. We're going to struggle. We have to learn to repent and to lay things down at the feet of the Lord. That's how we deal with stuff. The next thing is this. We need to learn how to mortify the flesh. This is critical. Again, I'm only glossing over these things, but, but you can study these things out on your own if you'd like. Mortify the flesh. As we lay off, we practice the art of mortifying the flesh, denying our outward man the things that it wants. Colossians 3.5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. We're not going to study all these wonderful King James words out today. You could do that. In your free time. And covetousness, which is idolatry. We know that word. That's yucky. So, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We're supposed to mortify our flesh so that we don't do all these yucky things. Romans 12.1 says that, that we're to make ourselves a living sacrifice before the Lord. We need to practice putting off the old man's behaviors and picking up new man behaviors. Why do we do this? Because Christ wants to sanctify us and purify us and make us live right. He wants us to shine bright in a dark world. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that, we, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Okay, there's redemption, there's salvation. And then purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, this is what discipleship is about. It's about laying the old you behind. Destroying it, in fact. I mean, some of those clothes you guys throw in the hamper, they need to go in the incinerator. That's where they need to go, okay? The thrift store don't even want that stuff, okay? And that's what you need to do with your fleshly behaviors. You need to put them to death, and then you need to put on the new man and be sanctified and become like the peculiar people that he always intended for you to be. You don't need to look like the world. You don't need to dress like the world, act, act like the world, speak like the world. You don't need that. You are a child of God. You should mortify the flesh, and you should live the way that he built you to live. And then five, you need to set your affections. In order to overcome sin long term, it's critical that you learn to set your care and passion on eternal things. 
You know, remember, you got to remember that so much of our sin, the sins that we commit, are rooted in allowing our flesh to fall prey to the bondage of the world. We become earthly and carnal in our affections. We become temporal in the things that we love. Right? We like, we like fleeting affection. We like, we like little moments of feel good. Right? We like, we like to watch things that we shouldn't watch, and we like to eat things that we shouldn't eat, and, and we like to say things. Why? Because in the moment, it feels great. Okay? We set our affections on worldly things, on earthly things, and, and if we simply turned our eyes and gazed on God and set our eyes on eternal things and our affections were there, then we wouldn't have time or interest in worldly things. That's how much greater God is. Colossians 3.1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now this is important. This is doctrinally relevant. For ye are dead. And your life is hid in, with Christ, in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And that is speaking to the resurrection of your body, the glorifying of your body. Now, now, here's the important thing to remember. You will never fully tame your flesh. So these are great. This is great. This is what the Bible teaches us to do. This is what we should pursue in our lives. This is spiritual discipline. This, this is what it looks like to yield. This is important, but here's the deal. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Your flesh is corrupt. And the only way for it to be dealt with is for it to literally die and be made new, which God's promised. Verse 42 says this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So Romans 8.8 8 says this. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If you're a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer in your flesh. Now you're in your flesh, like you wear it as a corrupt garment. But the point is, is that from God's perspective, you are in him. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I caught wind that last week someone got saved after a service. Praise the Lord. Someone accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And what they did in that very moment is they entered into the Spirit of God. But if you have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit and dwelleth in you. So Paul's, you know, Paul's final illustration gives us the, the most literal view of what he's talking about in terms of resurrection. He shares a, a doctrinal distinction, distinction between Adam and Christ. So look at how Paul addresses this 
with the church in Corinth. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So we all know that the very first man on earth was Adam. And he was crafted by God and he, played, he was placed in the Garden of Eden. Right? We, all, we all know that story, right? He was never born. He was made. He was crafted. And he was distinct among creation. He was the first living soul. He was made in the image of God with the intention of worshiping God in fellowship with him. We also know that, that sin came upon Adam and Eve, right? You know that part of the story? Adam and Eve, they sinned. They took of the tree. And that corruption fell upon all of humankind from that moment on. And we took on the image of man from that moment, not the image of God. And we live in that image. The image that they once had was now, is now gone. They no longer bore a spiritual resemblance to their creator, and neither do we. That imageless state has been passed down. Romans 5.12 teaches us that, that wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of us are sinners because of Adam and Eve. Now, by way of contrast, we have the last Adam. Who is the last Adam? Jesus Christ. He's the last Adam. Christ was sinless and was responsible for redeeming the image of God in man. He came to set all the things right. He came to fix the problem. We lost the image of God through Adam. But we have the ability to regain the image through Christ. It says, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's what Jesus said. He quickens us in our spirit. He's the quickening agent that makes our spirit alive. He changes us from the inside out. Verse 46 says, Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. So in humanity, our, our, our natural state is not spiritual. We are not spiritually inclined. But afterward, afterward is the spiritual thing. So what we had first wasn't spiritual, it was natural, it was carnal, it was fleshly, but Christ is our spiritual redeemer. He sets all things right. He, he provides us a second birth. He provides us with, with salvation. He makes us new. You know, in, in John chapter 3, uh, you know, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and he's explaining to him, look, look, man, you need to be born again because you're in your Adamic state. You're still in the first Adam. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I'm supposed to climb back up into my mom's womb and be born again? Which is the most disgusting conclusion, man. Of course not. I mean, I don't think I would have said that. But that's where his mind went. How can I be born again? And Jesus is like, look, you, you were born after water. But you need to be born after the Spirit. In your flesh, in your, in your first birth, when you were born, whatever, for y'all, was like, what, 1998, 2001? I don't know when you were born. Sometime way after I was born is when you were born. But when you, when you were born, you were born in, as, as, as a water birth, right? Whoosh. All of it came out, okay? I mean, someday, 
some of y'all will give birth. And there'll be water. Okay? There'll be water involved. And blood, lots of blood. Lots of blood. But it's a wonderful thing. But that's the first birth. You know, it's wonderful. when I've, All my kids are very, very important to me. But from the moment that we conceived, my prayer was the same. God, bring them a second birth. Before they were ever born into the world, God, bring this child. I don't even know their name. Bring them a second birth. And I, and I can say that two of my kids know Christ. I'm still praying for one. She needs the second birth. She needs to be born again. She needs her flesh. She needs her flesh to be redeemed. She needs her soul and spirit to be quickened. Christ is our spiritual redeemer. He sets all things right. He provides us that second birth. Jesus talks about that with Nicodemus and says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I wonder if there are people in this room today who have not been born again and, and will not see the kingdom of God. Something you need to work through. Without a second birth, without Christ's redemption, we remain in bondage to the first Adam, the natural and earthy man. Verse 47 says this, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. So just like Adam, we're, we're just like him. And, is, is the heav- and, and, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Those that are born again are made to be heavenly. Through Jesus Christ. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And so here's our key point. Our concluding point is this. The resurrection belongs to those who bear the image of their creator. That's who the resurrection belongs to. For those of us who bear the image of our creator. For those of us who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the resurrection is is ours. He's quickened us at the soul and spirit level, but there's coming a day where he will quicken us in our mortal bodies. He'll make all things new. He will redeem this flesh, and I'm going to be able to smell again. And not only that, I guarantee that there's more than six senses in heaven. I mean, it's not that I'll just be able to smell. I'll be able to smell things that have never been smelt. I can't wait can't wait I can't wait to like the, the like my favorite smell is fresh cut grass okay because I'm 40 that's why that's why don't ask why I like the smell of fresh cut grass for the same reason you like the smell of Doritos and farts because you're because you're 20 and that's what you do but But, but, but I can't smell it anymore. I can't, it's like faint. It's like, I can kind of smell it. One day, I'm going to go mow the grass in heaven, and I'm going to have a blast. <laughs> and it's going to be so refreshing for me. But listen to me. I can't wait. I can't wait till my flesh is redeemed. Now, I bear the image of my creator even now because God has saved me. I, he's made me new. But one day that'll be true, not just in my soul and my spirit, 
but also in my body. And that's a wonderful thing. Think on those things. I mean, you're having a hard time tomorrow. Your day's going bad. Hope on that. Hope on the wonder of all things being made right. Listen, listen to what verse 50 says. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit corruption. If you're still in, in a corrupted state, if you know that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Move from corruption to incorruption. Move from your mortal body to immortality. That seems real simple. I mean, I'm making it sound simple, but, but, but isn't it wonderful if it's that simple? Doesn't it seem divine that God can see your heart and your mind and he can see you make a decision that you believe on his son, Jesus Christ? Isn't it wonderful that he knows things about you that you don't even know? And so the moment you say to yourself, you know what, Lord, I haven't believed. I've, I've struggled. I've, I've lived in sin. I've lived a corrupted life. I, I live just like my father, Adam, and his, fa- his son after him, and, and, and just consecutive generations. I've lived corrupt, but I believe on you. I put my faith in you, and I know that you want to redeem me and make me right. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead to defeat my sin. And I put my faith in you. You don't think he can see that in the simplicity of that confession? He can. He can see it when you pray it in your bedroom. He can see it when you pray it sitting in your chair right there. He can see it and he knows it. And so I want to ask you, do you know where you're going when you die? And if you don't, then maybe you should come forward as we sing in worship and deal with that. And figure, figure out the answer to your life. Figure out the answer to where you go when you die. I want to invite the worship team up. Let's pray. Don't be afraid. Listen to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of God. He loves you. If you need to deal with something, deal with it. Don't, don't go home yet in your sin. Today is the day of salvation. Don't neglect the wonderful gift that God's given you. Receive it and bear his image once and for all. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the gift. And Lord, I pray if, there be, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior and they, they don't have a hope in a future kingdom, God, that you would convict them of their sin today and you'd help them to realize that they just can't do what's right, that they struggle in their flesh and that they need you to save them from their sin. Help them to see that today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.